you're on right now with Jim Dawes on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. Coming to you from the shores of the Indian River on Florida's beautiful Treasure Coast. And bringing you the news behind the news, the coronavirus story behind the story. Here to convince you that reality is usually scoffed at and illusion is usually king. We're streaming live on iHeartRadio and available as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. And you can follow me on Twitter at right now, Jim Dawes. I'd love to hear from listeners. Shoot me an email. The address is rightnowjimdaws at gmail.com. Or you can call the vent line and leave your rants at 772-245-0750. That's 772-245-0750. Well, I'm going to start this show with a disclaimer concerning this coronavirus. Uh, I come to this microphone five days a week and give you my best take on news and current events, politics, and culture, but I am not a public health professional, and the best I can do is uh, give you my take. You may have a different take, but my take is based on uh, the news media's coverage of it and my research into the actual underlying facts, and those two things are very difficult to reconcile in this current age of media hype. Unlike any time in history, we've got a, uh, a media with uh, uh, a fragmented media environment where they are desperate for eyeballs and on, online they're desperate for clicks. And the way you do that is by um, screaming fire in a crowded theater. And um, I look at the numbers related to this current coronavirus out, uh, outbreak, and I look at uh, the numbers for previous viruses that have uh, visited our nation, and it looks to me like the coronavirus is uh, right in line or even less deadly than previous outbreaks like SARS and H1N1 and the avian flu and the swine flu. We've got a long clip I'm going to play you later on in the show with a public health professional that uh, will con- compare and contrast those uh, those outbreaks. But if you look at the response, both in the media and among the p- political class, you would think that this is uh, Armageddon. They may be right, for all I know. Uh, I I have been advising for weeks on this show that the thing to do is to remain calm prepare for the worst and work for the best um, by putting in extra supplies of food stores and, uh, and getting your family as close around you as possible. Uh, but last night, the president uh, had a nationwide uh, address from the Oval Office, and he has um, implemented travel bans to Europe for the next 30 days, beginning at midnight on Friday. That is an unprecedented event, in peacetime at least. And uh, it leads me to believe that uh, he is now convinced that this, uh, this coronavirus is a real threat to public health in this country. We still have very low numbers, really unprecedented uh, low numbers if you compare it to what happened with the SARS outbreak, for instance, which had killed um, about 7,000 people before uh, 
the uh, the federal government ever even declared an emergency, and they never took any actions compared to what this president has done. He saw this on the horizon early on and implemented those travel bans uh, from China, <clears throat> excuse me, which have been credited uh, for uh, reducing uh, the number of cases that we have in the United States far, far below what we're seeing in Europe now. You know, uh, Italy, and in particular um, Rome, is a major tourist destination of uh, Chinese and now we see that the whole of Italy is now basically under quarantine. People are uh, being told to stay in their homes and only to leave for uh, the, the necessary essentials for life. So I'm going to try to give you my best, honest, sober, nonpartisan even explanation for why this, uh, this current virus, which has killed far fewer Americans and has a much lower mortality rate than H1N1, for example. But uh, this coronavirus has been elevated, and I'm going to continue to counsel that you be prepared to stay in your home for an extended period of time. I would advise you to go on out to the grocery store. Uh, if you got a 24-hour Walmart in your town, you need to go there in the middle of the night so you don't get caught in any kind of food panic or anything. And just buy up dry goods that uh, that you would be able to live on if you needed to stay indoors. Because they're the, I, I'm still convinced that the greatest threat that this virus poses is the threat of panic. And whether or not, not that panic is justified or not, I certainly don't uh, don't have a definitive answer for you for right now. So the president spoke last night. And he detailed the threats that were posed by this virus and outlined a, uh, all of the actions that his administration is doing to combat the virus. And as I said, he instituted this travel ban from the European Union that starts at midnight uh, on Friday. And he pointed out that the European Union failed to take the same precautions to restrict travel from China that the United States did and other hotspots like South Korea. And as a result now, we have a large number of, um, of cases in Europe and many of the clusters in the United States, like the ones that are in New Rochelle, New York, were seeded in the United States by travelers from Europe. He said there would be exemptions for the ban, but, uh, and that was for Americans returning home after they had been screened as well as green card holders. And he, he made an exemption as well for the United Kingdom. And I'm not sure why that's justified because the United Kingdom is connected to Europe by uh, a tunnel, the tunnel uh, under the, uh, uh, under the uh, English channel there. Not sure why a exemption from the United Kingdom is necessary, but the, uh, but Trump pointed out that these uh, measures were strong but he says they're necessary. He said, this is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. And he was immediately attacked for that term foreign virus. You're not allowed to point out uh, in this current media age that this virus originated in China. He went on to say, I'm confident that by counting 
and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens and will ultimately defeat this virus. The idea here is to keep these numbers down by whatever means is necessary. And the president thinks that uh, drastic means are necessary so that we can make it to the summer months where these viruses usually subside and, uh, and avoid overwhelming our healthcare system. Again, the president urged the, the, the basics, good hygiene. He said, wash your hands, clean often used surfaces, cover your face and mouth when you sneeze. And most of all, if you're still, uh, feeling sick, stay at home. He also pointed out the very real threat that this virus is uh, posing to our elderly uh, community. He said the elderly population must be very, very careful and avoid crowded areas. And he even called for um, old folks' retirement homes to uh, ban visitors. He addressed the threat that the virus is posing to the economy by saying this is not a financial crisis. This is just a temporary moment of time that we will overcome. And he ordered the Small Business Administration to provide economic loans to areas disrupted by the virus and called on Congress to pass a payroll tax relief for American citizens. That that last item is already being opposed by the Democrats on Capitol Hill, which seemed who seemed determined to prevent the president from implementing uh, measures designed to address this. They even um, dropped in a, a bill or dropped in a provision to an unrelated bill, I should say, um, preventing or, or prohibiting the president from instituting travel bans, if you can believe it. He also enacted um, emergency measures that he can do with an executive order to assist American workers that are affected by the crisis. He said these uh, measures will be targeted for workers who are ill, quarantined, or caring for others due to the virus. So it was a pretty uplifting uh, statement um, that the administration was taking necessary steps. And... um, and if you look at this administration's record on this, it has been very effective. Even California Governor, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, no friend of Donald Trump, had to admit that the administration uh, was doing a good job. They keep attack, attacking the administration for not having the uh, uh, sufficient test kits in the market as if you're supposed to snap your fingers and those test kits are created. But to date, despite what you're hearing on the media, they have already distributed over 1 million of these test kits. It's not enough, but it's a good start. And by the end of the week, they expect another 4 million of these test kits to be shipped out. Of course, uh, uh, the biggest action that they took was early on, while the uh, Democrats in Congress were bogged down in trying to impeach the president. He imposed this travel ban from China. And, uh, and early on, he also instituted, uh, or the administration also instituted mandatory screenings from all uh, travelers coming from Italy and South Korea. 
And of course, I think the most effective thing that the president has done is uh, put Mike Pence in charge of coordinating all the federal agencies' government response to this virus. You continue to have these Democrats running around saying the president needs to lead. The president needs to get good information out there. Uh, People don't know what to think. President Pence's task force holds a press conference every day, updates the media on what's going on, what's being done about it, answers all their questions, stays there in the briefing room until all the questions are exhausted. But the talking point in the media and among the Democrats are that this administration's not being transparent enough. If you've watched any of these these uh, news conferences, you can see it's just the opposite. He has the head of each one of these agencies up there to brief the public each and every day. And I think the reason that uh, the media and the Democrats are taking this line is, is not because the administration has not been effective, but just the opposite because they have been effective. And they know that it, it reflects well on the, uh, the competency of this administration, which goes counter to their narrative. You had Chuck Schumer coming out yesterday, the minority leader in the U S Senate calling the president incompetent in this time of crisis. Last night in his appeal, in his uh, address, Trump appealed for Congress and the American people to put politics aside. We are all in this together. We must put politics aside, stop the partisanship and unify together as one nation and one family. Well, that was not going to happen. You knew that that was just wishful thinking on the part of the president, because within minutes, The Democrats and even these Republican never Trumpers ignoring entirely the president's request that the that we come together and and work on this problem uh, in a united way swung instantly into action, criticizing him for doing nothing, they said, and dreaming of all the horrible things could that could happen if we uh, if we don't elect Joe Biden as president. If you go to social media it's just unbelievable. Gary Kasparov, a, uh, an avowed never-Trumper, said, Trump is afraid not because Americans will die or because the economy is tanking, because he's accountable at last, exposed as the fraud he's been his entire life. I mean, that's the level of commentary you have coming out of uh the establishment in Washington, D.C. Lawrence Tribe, a Harvard law professor who's been working behind the scenes assiduously trying to impeach this president. On Twitter, he said, uh, Trump's coronavirus announcements tonight are wildly inadequate to the point of irrationality. This is a national emergency that Trump has proven himself incapable of addressing and will soon be overwhelmed. This cannot stand, he says. John Dean, the the former felon that was indicted in the Watergate scandal and has now become a, a talking head on CNN, said Trump would likely try to uh, like to follow the NBA and cancel the election, but this um, these emergency powers do not exist. 
I mean, you have to wonder how this election is going to go forward. If, in fact, they're saying that it's going to come back next fall stronger than ever, how are you going to how are you going to hold an election? Sherry Christenbaum, who is a uh, a reporter, said, "I've been saying for weeks that the COVID nineteen may be Trump's Katrina moment. Now I suspect it may be far worse, and his legacy." So they're saying that, uh, you know, they've been saying that this is Trump's Katrina. At one point, uh, uh, they've also been saying that this is is, uh, Trump's Chernobyl. Katrina wasn't strong enough, so now they're saying it's going to be Trump's Chernobyl. The truth is, no matter what the president says, they're going to second-guess him if he says this is a, uh, a serious virus and everybody needs to uh, react accordingly. They'll say he's inducing panic. If he tells everybody to calm down and and uh, keep a level head, they'll accuse him of of uh, not taking it seriously enough. If he institutes a travel ban, they'll accuse him of xenophobia. If he doesn't in- institute a travel ban, they'll claim that he's uh, leaving us vulnerable. There's just no end to it. Don Lemon had John Kasich, former Ohio governor, and and another Trumper himself, had him on his show last night and got really angry that John Kasich uh, wasn't critical enough of the president. The cooperation from the federal government, it gets to the states, and governors have to make choices, and they cannot make choices based on making people happy or political considerations. Well, listen, the governors uh, can't, John, the governors can't make choices. They can't, if there are no test kits. If the test kits that the the federal government has promised aren't out there, then those governors can't make choices. And you said that, listen, the president, you said the president should stick to the script. I don't know if he stuck to the script or not, but... The, whatever script he read I, I was wrong because they've had to clarify it several times. And I, I just got to say, if the president came I, out I, to I, calm I, people's fears, he didn't do a good job of it because they've had to come back and clarify it several times. And th- this has been going on long he, enough I, for them to get it okay. straight. We need straight, accurate you know information what, from this president yeah. and this administration, and we're not yeah. getting it. And I don't understand why you are tiptoeing around it. He came out, gave an address that oh, that usually you know ha- that happens very rarely, and he doesn't get it right? I'm going to tell you, first of all, he read it, and somebody that wrote this, look, I don't want to get into that. He well, it was well, on today. That's why you're here to talk about was, the president's can I, address. Can I finish now? No, but Let no, me no, talk. no, 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 you Let can't, John. John, because we're here to talk oh, about I the president's talk? Wait, we're here. I don't want you to. I don't. <laughs> See, Don Lemon, the only kind of talking head he wants on his show is somebody that's going to take a, a, a wrecking hammer to the president, even if it is uh, it's only serves the purpose to uh, uh instigate panic. And as I mentioned, uh, while all of this was going on, Nancy Pelosi was in the house of representatives, uh, dropping in a provision to an unrelated bill that would prevent the president from instituting, uh, travel bans without, uh, congressional approval. And of course, you know, we had Bernie Sanders last week saying that, it was racist and xenophobia, uh, xenophobic to close our borders to try to protect ourselves from this virus. 
you got to wonder what it says about this this party, this Democrat party, that their answer to a uh, an epidemic, they're calling it a pandemic now, would be to bring a bill to limit the president's ability to control disease being brought into the country in the middle of a, ta- a pandemic. How many Americans are Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats willing to sacrifice to their open borders ideology? I'm wondering if I have time to play you this clip. I, I know I'm going to play you this clip. This is Michael Ulsterholm. He is, in fact, an infectious disease expert commenting on the coronavirus. He is one of the uh, people who says that, yes, this is going to be uh, a major pandemic in this country. Well, first of all, you have to understand the timing of it in the sense that it's just beginning. And so in terms of what hurt, pain, suffering, death has happened so far is really just beginning. Um, This is going to unfold for months to come yet. And that's, I think, what people don't quite yet understand. Um, What we saw in China, uh, I'm convinced, as are many of my colleagues, as soon as they release all of these uh, social distances, these mandated stay-in-homes, haven't left their home in weeks and weeks kind of thing, when they go back to work, they're on planes, trains, subways, buses, crowded spaces, manufacturing plants, even China is going to come back again. And so this really is acting like an influenza virus, something that transmits very, very easily through the air. We now have data to show that you're infectious before you even get sick. And in some cases, quite highly infectious, just breathing is all that you need to do. So from this perspective, I can understand why people would say, well, wait a minute, flu kills a lot more itself every year than this does. And I remind people this just is beginning. Probably the best guesstimate we have right now on what limited data we have is say this is going to be at least 10 to 15 times worse than the worst seasonal flu year we see. 10 to 15 times worse in terms of fatalities? Yeah, yeah. And and just illness. In fact, I just brought some numbers. We uh, conservatively estimate that this could require 48 million hospitalizations, 96 million cases actually occurring, over 480,000 deaths that can occur over the next three to seven months with this situation. So this is not one that to take lightly. And I think that's what I can understand if you say there's only been 10 deaths or 20 deaths or 50 deaths. Just remember, two weeks ago, we were talking about almost no cases in the United States. And now that we're testing for it and watching the spread as it's unfolding, uh, those numbers are going up astronomically. Three weeks ago, Italy was just living life just fine. Now they're literally in a virtual shutdown in the northern parts of Italy. And that's the challenge with an infectious disease like this. It can spread very quickly, and it also can affect people. So there you have the worst-case scenario by a actual public health uh, expert. The, uh, the best case or the, uh, the best scenario is, is one that says that, you know, Currently, uh, the seasonal flu is outnumbering um, the coronavirus by uh, factors of magnitude. I mean, uh, 45,000 times. But um, you know, I'm almost at a, a a loss for words. Um. Politico held a nightly coronavirus special edition email um, called America held hostage by the coronavirus saying the world is drawing in on uh, itself 
in hand sanitizer and suffocating itself with fear. And uh, all I can counsel is to take it seriously. If it turns out uh, that they have overhyped this, then you have erred on the side of caution for yourself and your family. Um, I'm going to take them at their word. I'm still looking at it with a jaundiced eye, and I will not be surprised at all. If it turns out that this has just been a media freakout in this current political environment where they're determined to take down Donald Trump. we got to run out to a break. When we come back, we'll take a look at what's going on in the Democrat primaries and other news right after these messages. Stick with us right here on the Mojo 5 Radio Network. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is... What's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Need an extra hand with dinner? Just ask your connected home device to fill your pasta pot, and Delta Faucet Voice IQ technology will fill it with the perfect amount of water. Visit deltafaucet.com slash voice IQ to discover more. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. So we're trying to decide what to believe and how to react to this coronavirus crisis, panic, whether or not it's legitimate and whether or not it's being overhyped. And I found a, uh, a clip from Business Insider. It's almost five minutes long with a public health professional comparing and contrasting this virus with the, the SARS and the MERS and the Zika and the swine flu and uh, how widespread, how contagious it is, what the mortality rates are. And I think this is probably uh, some of the best information I can bring to you. I'm probably going to have to interrupt it because some of her information was based on previous findings that have been updated since this was recorded. Um, But this is from Business Insider. It seems like every few years, a new virus outbreak scares the world, but then it goes away. Zika, SARS and swine flu are some examples of recent public health threats that were contained. But could the coronavirus have a different fate? Business Insider senior science reporter Arya Bendix is here to break it down. So Arya, can we expect the same thing with the coronavirus? It's really difficult to make predictions about this new strain of coronavirus compared to other past epidemics. Uh, This virus causes disease known as COVID-19 that we haven't seen before in humans. It's called the Wuhan virus. 
specimens, so it's hard to tell um, what the future of this outbreak will look like. Uh, we do know that there's the potential that the virus could rebound again and cause a new outcrop of cases, maybe possibly in the fall. Um, but it's comforting to know at least that the virus is the outbreak, at least in China, is tapering off. Um, so those we don't know that for a fact. They're reporting fewer cases, but uh, you really can't believe anything you hear out of communist China. Cases are going down. Fewer people are being infected there. And if other countries like the U.S., South Korea, Japan can enforce some of the same containment measures, uh, we could see their outbreaks taper off as well. And how does it compare with SARS and MERS, for example? So SARS and MERS are both types of coronaviruses. So COVID-19 is now belongs to this type of coronavirus. Um, they're very different outbreaks, though. Um, SARS was far more deadly, um, so it had about a mortality rate of about 9%. MERS was even deadlier. It had a mortality rate of around 34%. Um, and right now, the World Health Organization estimates that the mortality rate for COVID-19 is about 3.4%. Um, that said, it has... That 3.4% has now been updated to be uh, in the range between... which is the seasonal flu, and one, which is 10 times the seasonal flu, uh, affecting largely people, uh, elderly people with compromised health conditions already. For people below 30 years old, uh, we're learning now that the mortality rate is very low, uh, coming in uh, at about uh, 0.05%. Has been more widespread than SARS and MERS, so more people are getting infected, um, but less of those people who are getting infected are actually dying from it. The swine flu was far more widespread than COVID-19. Um, actually, about one in five people got it worldwide, um, but very, very low mortality rate, so less than 1% of the people who got infected actually died. And another virus that comes up is Zika, but the transmission and everything about it is completely different. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's hard to compare because Zika is a mosquito-borne illness illness predominantly. So people get it by being bitten by a mosquito. With COVID-19, it's mostly spread through uh, respiratory fluids, so saliva and mucus. And that's why it's so important with this coronavirus to actually uh, cover your mouth when you cough or cover your face when you sneeze so that you aren't spreading it uh, to other people. Now, what are the symptoms of someone who's contracted coronavirus? So the Chinese Centers for Disease Control and Prevention did a study, uh, and they found that about 99% of people who were symptomatic actually developed a fever. So we can we know that a fever is the most common symptom. Uh, other common symptoms include... Well, that is a common symptom. The, the problem and the thing that makes this virus so difficult to contain is you're contagious before you're showing other any symptoms at all. Other viruses, uh, you are not contagious until after you become symptomatic. Included uh, a dry cough, and then in severe cases, difficulty breathing. So those that difficulty breathing was usually a sign that someone would have more of a severe respiratory syndrome um, and might need to be hospitalized. So there's been a lot of misinformation about the severity of the coronavirus. You got that right. And can it be compared to a flu? It's difficult to compare it to the flu. It has a lot of flu-like symptoms, so it presents itself similarly. Um, but we know that the flu infects uh, tens of millions of people each year. So I hear a lot of people say, oh, well, thousands of people die from the flu each year. Yes, but tens of millions of people are getting infected. That's not the case with this virus right now. Um, The infection is is much lower among the general population, um, but those people who are getting infected are dying more. So the mortality rate, again, is higher for COVID-19. You know, we really don't know what the mortality rate is because uh, of the nature of this virus. It uh, affects young people very lightly. So uh, a lot of people are infected 
that never report or never even get a test. I'm not going to play the rest of that clip because uh, it, it goes over information that we've already covered. But um, we'll continue to stay on top of this and, and report the best information uh, that we're able to, to glean, keeping in mind always that uh, you're going to have to make up your own mind based on um, a, a broad range of information. But let's turn to the political reaction from the Democrats. They have um, gotten their talking points now, uh, and they have decided that any reference to the Wuhan flu, uh, where it originated, as anything other than COVID-19 is bigoted as concern other novel coronaviruses. Democrats have been ramping up attacks on individuals who claim uh, that they claim are using bigoted and racist phrases to refer to the illness. Nancy Pelosi, for instance, recently demanded an apology from House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who referred to this as the Chinese coronavirus. She took to Twitter and said, bigoted statements which spread misinformation and blame Asians and Asian Americans for coronavirus make us all less safe. A GOP leader must apologize. Well, uh, the last I looked, this this virus did, in fact, originate in China. And it originated in uh, a particular part of China that is home to their, uh, their bioweapons program. Now, they're claiming that it originated in a wet market where the Chinese people uh, eat or, or kill and eat live animals um, that are not fit for human consumption, such as bats. So either one or two things are uh, true in this case. Either this virus uh, came out of that wet market, which was thoroughly unsanitary and, uh, and should never be allowed in a, uh, a populous nation like China, or it came out of that, um, that germ warfare lab located uh, just not too far away, I think 20 miles. In either case, this most certainly uh, should be called the Wuhan virus or the communist China uh, virus because uh, it is it is the practices of that country that has imposed that on the rest of the world. You know, it wasn't that long ago that calling it the Wuhan virus was, uh, was not unusual at all. As a matter of fact, the media... Um, called it that until they figured out a way to claim that um, that using that term was racist. CNN, for instance, uh, reported on their air, vaccine for news Chinese coronavirus is in the works. They also said China confirms Wuhan virus can be spread by whom? humans. The Washington Post. They said the first case of the potentially deadly Chinese coronavirus confirmed in Washington state and the Chinese coronavirus infections death toll soar. The Los Angeles Times Chinese coronavirus outbreak has reached U.S. shores. Reuters, Japan confirms first case of new Chinese virus. In that story, it said with Wuhan virus genetic code in hand, scientists begin work on a new vaccine. It goes on and on. It was it was common to refer to this virus as the Wuhan virus or the Chinese coronavirus 
until the Democrats figured out a way that they could accuse Republicans of being racist and having a racist and xenophobic response to this crisis. Over there at CNN, Jim Acosta, in response to the president's Oval Office address, uh, claimed that closing the borders was somehow xenophobic. The speech that was expected. I think that is the speech that was expected. I think it, it went well beyond what any of us really thought. I, I don't think many of us were expecting the president to announce a travel ban from Europe uh, for 30 days starting at Friday uh, at midnight. Uh, that is stunning. That is that is going to cause major disruptions uh, to the travel industry, and it is going to cause all kinds of problems that we uh, haven't seen since the Trump administration tried its travel ban uh, very early on in the administration. We saw people waiting at the airport and so on, mm-hmm. wondering if loved ones are going to get back from Europe. So I, it is going to be interesting to find out what the details are for administration officials in terms of how they're going to implement that. The other thing, Chris, that I think we should point out, at one point during this address, uh, the president referred to the coronavirus as a, quote, foreign virus. Uh, that, that, I think, was interesting because, as I was talking to sources earlier this evening, one of the points that the president wanted to make tonight, wanted to get across to Americans, is that this virus did not start here, uh, but that they're dealing with it. Now, why the president would uh, go as far as to describe it as a foreign virus, that is something we'll also be asking mm-hmm. questions about. But it, it should be pointed out that Stephen Miller, uh, who is a, an immigration hardliner, who advises the president, is uh, one of his top domestic policy advisors and speechwriters, right. uh, was a driving force in writing this speech. And I think it's going to smack, uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as smacking of uh, xenophobia. It's xenophobic if you point out that this virus originated outside of our shores and that in order to combat it, we've got to recognize that and do our best to limit further exposure by restricting travel. I mean, first and foremost and always, these people run to their politically correct um, worldview and their accusations against everybody is racist and bigoted in response to everything. There is no problem, including the weather that they won't blame on racism. And if, if somebody is doing harm to you, like China is doing to the United States, not just with this, this, uh, this virus, that, as I say, is either one of two things. It's either from that, uh, that germ warfare laboratory or it's from a wet market that is completely unsanitary and should have never been allowed. Either one of those things, we've got to recognize that China presents a, a real threat, not only of um, you know this virus, but our relationship with, with China in regards to allowing them to have taken control over uh, our pharmaceutical supply. Tucker Carlson said it better than I can, so I'll just play you his take on that. China dominates the world market in pharmaceutical ingredients, compounds used in virtually every essential medicine for high blood pressure, for cancer, for Alzheimer's disease, and many more come from China. So the key components in vital medical technology, CT scanners, x-ray machines, ultrasounds. As of tonight, more than 95% of all the antibiotics in America are manufactured in communist China. 95%. 
Our chief global rival has a total monopoly on the most important medicine in the world. That should worry you more than anything the candidates are currently talking about. Imagine watching one of your children die from an infected cut. China has the power to make that happen. The Chinese government is acutely aware of this power. Last year, a prominent Chinese economist suggested cutting off the supply of antibiotics to the United States as leverage in the trade war. That should have been the biggest story in America. The news media all but ignored it. Why? Because it implicated them and their political party in one of the greatest crimes of our time. Nine years ago, famously brilliant former President Barack Obama did predict a connection between China and the next global pandemic. Unfortunately, Obama got it backward. He claimed China would help us. I absolutely believe that uh, China's peaceful rise is good for the world, and it's good for America. To the extent that we have a partner in addressing issues like climate change or pandemic. Our foremost genius. The people in charge have no idea what they're doing, and to the extent they do, they're selling us out on purpose. You know, people should be held accountable for allowing a communist dictatorship to capture the production of 95% of antibiotics and so many other uh, critical um, pharmaceuticals. And one of the people that should be held accountable is Joe Biden, who was a big promoter of favored nation trading status with China and the rise of uh, the World Trade Organization and was a big advocate for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And he is now running for president of the United States, telling us that we need Joe Biden to come back to address these problems. We're going to talk about uh, Biden just a little later, but I want to, well, I should, before I leave the coronavirus uh, story, uh, uh, mention that the NBA has now suspended the rest of the season, well, at least until further notice, after they had a single player test positive for the coronavirus. I'm not too torn up about that. I haven't watched NBA for many years. The The game is is no longer represent, uh, 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 recognizable as a team sport. Um, it, it is certainly not anything like it was from the heyday of the NBA. If you want to watch good basketball, uh, you, you do that by watching uh, college basketball. And every year I watch March Madness, but they're talking about playing March Madness now the entire NBA tournament without audiences. They're going to play in empty stadiums or empty uh, auditoriums. So I'm not sure if that's going to be worth watching because, you know, the crowd is a big part of, uh, of why those, those, uh, that, that tournament is so suspenseful and entertaining. Well, over on the Democrat presidential primary, they have uh, the Democrat establishment has all decided that these primaries are over with and the rest of the primary should be canceled and the debate should be canceled and Bernie Sanders uh, needs to throw in the towel and they they need to just shut it down. Here's Bill Clyburn, who, who has now uh, got big juice in the Democrat par- uh, party because he, uh, he was credited with dragging old Joe Biden over the line there in South Carolina, which uh, started his rehabilitation. Here is Clyburn uh, calling for the primaries to be shut down. Quite frankly, if the night ends the way it has begun, I think it is time for us to shut this primary down. 
it's time for us to cancel the rest of these debates because you don't do anything but get yourself in trouble if you continue this contest when it's obvious that the numbers will not stick out for you. <laughs> you don't get it, do anything but get yourself in trouble if you continue to allow Joe Biden to debate. You know, in the debates up till now, they've had, I guess they started with uh, 10 candidates at a time up on the stage, and then they got down to six. But Joe Biden only had to speak a, a small fraction of the time. Now that it's down to two candidates and we're expecting another debate, two-hour debate on Sunday, you would expect Joe Biden to have to speak for a full hour and try to articulate and outline his policy prescriptions. And the Democrats understand that that is a recipe for disaster. You've got James Carville, who has been um, brought out of retirement in order to uh, be a talking head representing the Democrat Party establishment over there on MSNBC. The voters saying tonight what needs to happen right now. They are saying something very clearly. I'm a tip of a hat to Guy Fawkes. Remember, remember, this is all about November. These voters want to shut this thing down. I mean, you can just look all across. Remember, remember, this is all about November. A hat to Guy Fawkes. Remember, remember, this is all about November. These voters want to shut this thing down. I mean, you can just look all across the spectrum of the Democratic Party and people are saying, we made our decision. This is who we're going with. Senator Sanders may not break threshold in Mississippi. It's at 15.3 right now. We got to acknowledge that he created a movement. He, he did some, some, some truly remarkable things in American politics. And, and certainly Vice President Biden, we've got to talk to him. And, and <laughs> So... Carville's making the case in order to represent the Democrat voters, they need to prevent any more Democrat voters from having a chance to hear from their candidate or voting again. Here he is making the rounds with Rachel Maddow. Senator Sanders out of the race before he's comfortable leaving might allow the Biden campaign a chance to court them rather than having to fight them. But first of all, Rachel, it's the Democratic voters that made this decision. Vice President Biden is not trying to force him out. You've got to respect voters. You respect the people in South Carolina and Virginia and Michigan and all the places that they're working. I mean, I, yes, there has to be respect. But you have to have respect for democracy. And this is very clear. What, what Democrats around the country are saying. And, and just everywhere that you go, they come in, James, we've we, we, we got to get rid of this guy. What are we doing? And- <laughs> We got to shut this puppy down, says Carville, because we got to respect the voters by not allowing the rest of them to get the chance to vote. You know, you would think by listening to Carville and uh, James Clyburn and these other Democrats uh, calling for Bernie Sanders to withdraw from the race that uh, that Joe Biden just had an insurmountable lead and that this, this thing has already been decided. That is not the case. Joe Biden doesn't even have half of the delegates required to get the nomination. And he's only about 140 delegates ahead of Bernie Sanders. It's 785 for Joe Biden versus 642 for Sanders. At this point in the 2016 race, Hillary Clinton had way more delegates than Bernie Sanders and, and more than uh, Joe Biden. But they know that uh, the longer this goes on, the more Joe Biden has to campaign 
the more he has to debate, the more he'll, um, he'll be exposed, not only exposed, uh, for being in a severe state of cognitive decline, but also exposed to the Wuhan virus and, uh, his, uh, his responsibility for um, for our disastrous relationship with communist China now. But the Democrats haven't uh, picked a candidate yet. They haven't settled on old Joe Biden. Now they're being asked to settle for old Joe Biden. But this thing has a long way to go. I've got a clip here of Joe Biden commenting on the coronavirus. Medicare doesn't fix that. My plan. I need to set this up better. As you listen to this clip, just try to uh, figure out what the heck he's talking about and make sense of any of this and follow along and see if you're able to do it. I can't. Medicare doesn't fix that. My plan, the, the, the Obamacare that I build on, would take care of it all in terms of the billing and all, all those things that are concerned about what it's going to cost them. But it does not solve the underlying problem. Where do you go? Who do you talk to? What information do you get? That is not something that a, a, if anyone on Medicare today, let me put it this way, anybody's on Medicare today, okay, they have Medicare. Do you think they're any less, any, any less concerned? Is the, 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 the fact that an elderly person who's worried about her is in a nursing home and has Medicare or is, is working in a way that all their bills are covered for Medicare? They're saying, well, I'm okay. Don't worry about this. It goes well beyond that. And again, I don't think, Bernie, or I should try to turn this into a debate about Medicare for all or Biden plan building on Obamacare. It's much beyond that right now. It's about reinstilling some confidence and being prepared. We are not prepared and there's things we should be doing and by the way the fact that the united states congress said democrats and republicans said wait a minute we have to fund this we have to get the money out there now well i mean it, it, it goes well beyond a plan it goes beyond what is the what structures exist in society today in the united states of america to deal with this problem what are they and every and anyway, so you got the former vice president, the prohibitive uh, favorite to become the Democrat nominee. He just spoke for a minute and a half, and he made absolutely no bit of sense. There was no coherence in that clip at all. You could listen to it and try to diagram. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Medicare doesn't fix that. My- I'm not going to. Here's uh, here's what it reminds me of. I need your help. I really need your help. I need your help. I really need your help. <laughs> he really does need some help. He needs someone to uh, to take him somewhere to sit on a porch, maybe go fishing. The days of Joe Biden being fit to be president of the United States have long since passed. I would say that his policies have always made him unfit, but now he is mentally incapable for, uh, for of even making his own arguments. Here is one of Biden's deputy campaign directors appearing on Fox News and being asked whether or not he's fit for office. And listen carefully to see if she ever does say that, yes, he is. 
I just want to ask you about the videos that keep coming out, whether it was the one over the weekend where Joe Biden seemed to be struggling uh, to talk about whether or not you should vote for him or vote for Donald Trump's reelection. Bottom line is, you know, the Trump campaign is pushing these videos out there and they're asking a basic question. Is Joe Biden fit to be commander in chief? How do you answer that? You know, I have to say, this is a disgusting smear tactic. And this kind of thing is exactly why people want Joe Biden to be president. This kind of false, uh, you know, misleading, uh, basically conspiracy theory that, uh, you know, well, hang a, a on. How is it a smear? Hang on. Desperate- I'll let you talk, but hang on. How is it a smear tactic to ask you about a video where the vice president, in his own words, struggles to complete a sentence? How is that a smear tactic? Ed, respectfully, how many times have you struggled to complete a sentence I'm sure on it's air? Happened many That's ridiculous. Times. So that you notice, she, of course, let's roll. Let's roll the tape. You notice she never answers the question whether or not Joe Biden is fit to be president of the United States because uh, it's obvious that Joe Biden uh, is is past his expiration date as far as uh, as being a, a political leader. And there was no better example of that than what happened last week. When uh, on the day of the Michigan primary, Joe Biden showed up at a const- uh, construction site where union workers were building a new um, automobile plant in Detroit, thanks to the policies of this administration. And he attacked and cursed and threatened a union worker who who asked him about his position on gun confiscation. Well, that union worker, his name's Jerry. I don't know his last name yet. Uh, appeared on Fox, uh, Fox and Friends yesterday, and here's what he had to say about Joe Biden. Jerry, what's your message to America? What do you want people to know about the average voter, middle America, the southern states? And the Midwest. I want them to know that love goes a long way. And uh, if you're actually able to listen to each other, left, right, or center, actually take the time to listen to one another and try to come together with something because a split America is not a good America. Most people lived in the 80s, 90s, even before then. They know just in that short time away, America was much better. So that was Jerry's response to Joe Biden telling him he was full of spit and threatening to take him outside because he disagreed with him on Biden's stance on the Second Amendment. That takes us to the end of this edition of the Right Now with Jim Dawes. I want to thank you for joining us and invite you back here again tomorrow right here on the Mojo Five O Radio Network. We'll talk to you then. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is... What's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. 
call 562-314-4603 for complete details.